Welcome to the Big Swings Podcast with Eric Schaefer, Episode 1, Part 1. Let's kick this thing off. Welcome to the Big Swings Podcast, your source for breakthrough trends, shaping business and technology innovation. And now your host. Had we all known someone could get paid to talk so much, we would have pursued a BS degree as well. Eric Schaefer. Welcome to the Big Swings Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Schaefer. I am joined today by uh, some longtime friends. I'm truly excited and blessed to have them as a part of this inaugural uh, session and podcast. Today, we're going to be focused on one of the biggest swings in our economy, focused on the increasing number of startups, some of which are, are really transforming the way we do business today. Some are totally disrupting it from the way Uber has disrupted the transportation world, right? The, the way Amazon, through their recent acquisition of Whole Foods, is going to transform the retail sector. Uh, it's also leading to emerging companies. If you haven't heard of this company, uh, Urgently, Urgent.ly, look it up. Phenomenal. They're going to change the landscape for on-demand roadside assistance. They're going to challenge everything AAA is doing today. Um, these are the, the entrepreneurs, the millennials that are coming out of, out of organizations, out of their uh, day-to-day, and just thinking outside of the box as to how we can transform our economy. Um, and so today, uh, we are joined again by Drew Weatherford and Sam Weatherford. Um, and if you're from the state of Florida, Florida is synonymous with Weatherford. Uh, I just throw it out there. I know you guys are chuckling, but man, you guys are so ingrained in the Florida culture, the Florida economy. Uh, your oldest brother, Will, Florida Speaker of the House. Drew, you played quarterback here at Florida State University. Go Knowles. And I'm going to tee it up at that point right there. I'll be honest with you. We're going to throw in a little war chant. I'm going to have to. A little ACC <laughs> action. Got to do it. it. That's I right. It. And and Sam, you had the opportunity to play football in high school with my brother. Awesome experience. You guys are so ingrained in the state of Florida. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, Eric. Glad to be here, man. And uh, first of all, thank you for taking the time to come see us here in Florida. I know you're coming all the way from for sure. Atlanta, Georgia. And it's been a long time since we've had the opportunity to really connect and um yeah, man, it's great to see you, and uh, we're just glad glad to be here. I appreciate it. Yep. Thanks, Eric. Really, really excited about being a part of this. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, guys. So let, let's jump into this. You know, I'm sitting here in this, this beautiful building, downtown Tampa, overlooking the skyline. You know, all of us were basically born and raised here. Um, you know, I still call Tampa home. Even though I, I live in Atlanta now, I still call Tampa home. Um, it, there's a lot going on here in Tampa, Drew. Um you know, I was reading, you guys just hosted the first uh, really millennial uh, mm-hmm. seminar here at the uh, Emily Arena downtown, um, packed house, standing room only. One of our good friends, Tim Moore, was was on the panel there uh, from uh, Diamond View Studios, so awesome opportunity for him. But Tampa is evolving as one of the premier locations in the U.S., for not only millennials, but startups. And that's really what's transforming business today. And what I wanted to talk to you about was, and gain your perspective is how you see 
your journey from Land O'Lakes to Tallahassee and now sitting here in downtown with Weatherford Partners. Take me along that journey and kind of your focus through that process that's really defined your entrepreneurial spirit, Mm -hmm. right? And what has brought you back to Tampa? Yeah, well... Uh, it's a great question. I mean, other than actually leaving, as you mentioned, to go up to Tallahassee, um, you know, to go to school and, and play football up there, Tampa's really been home for me. And uh, it was a pretty easy decision for me to move back to Tampa. One, it's, um, you know, it's got everything really, I think, that uh, a young entrepreneurial person like myself uh, would, you know, has, would like. Uh, everything from, you know, the water to it's got enough going on, but it's you're not dealing with the traffic of Atlanta, right? So right. there's kind of enough to do, yeah. uh, but at the same time, it's not cluttered and, and crazy. And it's easy, I think, to be um, kind of a uh, – in some of these entrepreneurial markets like New York and San Francisco and Austin, there's so many entrepreneurs that it's really hard to stand out. It's hard to differentiate yourself because right. there's just so much clutter. And I felt like – you know, there was a lot of great opportunity in Tampa because the infrastructure is here, um, I think, and the market is here. Florida is a huge, huge market, right? right. The third lar- right. largest state in the entire country. And, um, you know, it's um, – but yet it hadn't been as progressive as a lot of those other states had been. Um, and so, like California and Texas specifically. And, uh, and you know, obviously having a family here um, was, was a big attraction – but ultimately, my journey was really simple. You know, when I got done with with football, um, you know, played in college, played a little bit professionally, you know, I really woke up and I'd been so focused on sports my entire life. I didn't yeah. know what I wanted to do when I grew up. I didn't know who I wanted to be when I grew up. <laughs> you know, I, I wanted to be a quarterback. Um, you knew that you know, part, right? And, yeah. and winning, uh, you know, Super Bowls and all that kind of good stuff. And, you know, God just had different plans for me. Yeah. But one thing that sports taught me that was ingrained in me is that in order to have success, um, it's all about people. Mm-hmm. Um, and nobody can really have a tremendous amount of success um, on their own. And so I think the key, some of the keys to my success thus far have been, one, having self-awareness of my strengths, but honestly, more importantly, my weaknesses, and building people around me mm-hmm. um, to fill those gaps. And um, and I think that is true here with my brothers who I'm not partnered with, Will and Sam. It was true in my previous business in Strategos. I partnered with somebody that was 20 years my senior, um, you know, that had a lot of knowledge and expertise and credibility that I didn't have. Um, but I also realized, you know, I realized I needed them, but I also realized the value for a lot of the reasons that you mentioned with, their, with me being one of nine kids in, this, mm-hmm. and, in a really large family, all of us playing sports, you know, here in the state of Florida. So we have, you know, some credibility. We have a lot of name recognition. Um, and um, I realized that my platform at Florida State would allow me to have access my, uh, to a lot of people that I otherwise wouldn't. And at a very young age, um, I decided that I was going to start my own consulting shop strategy consulting shop. Um, I don't think I really even knew what strategy consulting <laughs> meant. But what I did know is how um, I realized that I could create value, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized that 
not only could I create value, I could capture value by creating a consulting shop and doing business development consulting. And it was very, um, it was very um, unsophisticated initially. It was literally me partnering with companies that were trying to grow their businesses in the state. Um, and kind of, I was an extension of their sales force. So instead of just going to work internally right. for somebody and being the director of business development or a hired gun, I kind of provided those services for a handful of companies um, because I was just aware that uh, I could create value in that way. And I just made a decision and, and took kind of a swing. Yeah. Um, and fortunately, um, you know, after about six months and things were going well, I realized that I needed a partner and I partnered with somebody um, and uh, we ended up building a, a really successful company uh, before I joined my brothers uh, in 2014. That's awesome. You know, and I, I think you hit on something that, that's really important today for anybody really trying to get a start. You know, and again, this is this is my first podcast. You know, I'm, I'm getting started, right? I listened to, uh, we talked about this in the pre-show before we got started, listen to Gary Vee a lot, right? And his biggest thing is just get started, right? Mm-hmm. Just get started. And so you mentioned something that there, there's probably a lot of people sitting here, uh, you know, listening to this podcast today going, how did he get started? How do I get started? And you hit on something that, that is really key and I think has taken not only myself, but other very successful business folks and business oriented folks, just like yourself, a long way in life. And that's building relationships. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the key driver in building those strong relationships? I mean, from a sales perspective, I look at it from a couple ways, right? Building relationships for me, sitting on one side of the table trying to sell a product, a good or a service, Mm -hmm. much like you guys are investing in companies here at Weatherford Partners, you're looking to build credibility. You're looking to build a genuine relationship with the person across the table that says, hey, this is the value I can bring. And you said it earlier. I knew I could bring value. I just had to find the right people to bring it to. Right. Right. Talk to me a little bit about that and kind of how you chose also your partner, 20 years your senior, as you said, right? Probably had a lot of industry knowledge, probably brought, you know, some valuable resources to you as well. But how do you go about building those relationships? I think um, even in... in um you know, what, what you were just mentioning, right? Relationship building uh, from a business context. There's personal relationships. That's a whole nother game that I won't bore you with. <laughs> but as it relates to business and how to build business relationships, I really think it comes down to two things. I think it comes down to being able to build trust. Yep. And the way that you can build trust is you create <clears throat> value for people. And typically you're creating awesome. value for people before you ever ask them for anything. Right. <laughs> before you ever ask for anything in return, um, you're, you know, um, connecting them with different people, right? Um, you're, you know, being thoughtful and, you know, shooting a text or, or sending a note when there's nothing on the table, right? Right. Um, and doing those little things over time, um, I really think um, is, is what builds that, you know, creating that value ultimately builds that trust, Um, And I think that is the big differentiator between somebody who's like really good at networking. Like they might have a really big network. And I know a lot of these people have a huge network. Right. But they're not really doing much with it. It's because everyone knows that you're just trying to build a good network. Mm -hmm. Network. They don't know that you really 
care about them. And the best way you, you can show that you care for somebody is to create value for the person. Yeah. I don't care what it looks like. It might even be, um, you know, um, and something non-business related. But I think th- those are the two big key things. That's awesome. Sam, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I, I mean, guess we're, we're I was going to ask you a follow-up question. So, in in, in the in the context where um, where basically the value is being created, let's say there's three products or three services, and the value is the same, you know, how do you get a cutting edge? Like when the relationships comes into play in your experience, you know, what have you used? Um, you know, what are what are the relationship building skills that you use or you've seen that work, even when there's kind of a level playing field from a value proposition standpoint. Yeah, no, that's that's that's, Both a, you that's a big point. I mean, you know, from my perspective, you know, sitting on one side of the table and even here, right? It's through even this podcast, just getting started. It's providing value, like you had mentioned, Drew. Providing value without the expectation of a return, right? If I can, if I can wake up every morning and provide value to somebody, right? without the expectation of, of a immediate return. That is going to continue to show that I'm adding value in whatever process, service, good, product, you know, mm-hmm. relationship. And I think that's really, you know, how you can differentiate yourself in building that relationship. Now, the, the value prop for product, service, or good is going to be completely different, sure. right? And being able to differentiate it. There's only so far you can stretch the truth. <laughs> but, you know, I think building personal value and personal relationships, yeah. at the end of the day, when that person agrees to take a journey with you, they're taking that journey based on who you are, not what you provided them in terms of a service or a good. It's your relationship. It's the product, service, or good at the end of the day, in yeah. my opinion, that is ultimately going to be potentially financially rewarding, right? Or drive their business to the next level, but I, I truly believe it's it's that relationship they buy you mm-hmm. right, and I and I think that's a key ingredient in any relationship. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. I mean, I think the the long term perspective uh, of building relationships and and you having a long term view is a critical component because it forces you to be genuine. It forces you yep. to be authentic. It forces you to be honest. It forces you to be thoughtful. As opposed to, you know, just like a salesman coming in trying to get another quick, you know, sale and then move on. When you just stop and when you're sitting across the table from someone, I don't care if they're selling you a car, if they're selling you, you know, a cell phone or a, a thing of water. And you can just tell that they care about you as a person and they're thinking long term about, right. you know, uh, about what matters in the world and, and relationships and people. Like you just get that sense of, of feeling and value. And that, I think, is what inspires trust. That and that awesome. builds the bridge to yeah. actually being able to create value. And, yeah. and being a millennial, I can say this. I think that's actually one of the biggest problems that millennials have, um, and it's primarily a cultural problem. Is this instant gratification mindset? We are the epitome of people that want to return immediately on everything that we do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If you send someone a text, you expect a text back. You yeah. Know, immediately. I mean, you can go on and on and on. Um, you don't want to stand in lines. You don't want to go to the grocery store. And so it's by no fault of our own to a certain degree because society's kind of trained us that way and technology has made things so seamless. And so having in the midst of all of that, having a long-term mindset is something that we really struggle with um, and I think is extremely valuable, 
extremely valuable. And that's one of the major points that I would drive home with anyone that's starting a business um, is to have that long-term perspective, not only on their business, but also um, on relationships. Yeah. And to answer your question, I think if assume that you are going after a procurement or trying to win a bid of some kind or trying to win business and all things are equal, one of my tactics has been leveraging the other relationships that I have that matter to the person that's ultimately making the decision. Mm-hmm. And that's what differentiates. So they're not, yes, they're buying me, but they're also buying me because I know this person and that per- person is vouching for me, right? Yeah. And they're also saying, hey, if all these things are equal, right, you should pick whatever it is that Drew's selling or Weatherford Partners is selling because I've done business with them before and they do it the right way. And there's legitimate value. And you surround them with those people and those mm-hmm. influencers and yeah, you know, who can validate the experience, who can validate Yeah, not just the product or service, your, yeah. but who you're dealing with. Right. You know, at the yeah. end of the day. Well and, and you know, you kinda of touched on something else. Millennials have have been dubbed, been given or dubbed a persona, right? There's so much talk, especially in metropolitan areas. Millennials don't want to own cars. Right? Why not? Right? You got Uber. Why do you need a car? Right? Um, you it's, know, it's funny you mentioned that. You know, it, it's you know, in in our in our society, it's millennials are job hopping. Right? They spend two years with a company and they're looking for something else. Yeah. You talk about the instant gratification, right? With millennials, you know, what is what is your feedback? to that millennial population outside of looking long-term? Because I think it is. It's, it's truly a marathon. It's not a sprint. Mm-hmm. In any relationship, in, in anything that you want to do, do well and prosper in, I think it is. It's a marathon, not a sprint, right? What type of feedback can you provide this millennial generation that has been given kind of a negative persona, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's in the workplace or in your personal life, what type of feedback do you have for those outside of, Hey, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Build some relationships. My uh, uh, my advice would say it's an opportunity for people that you know. Forget about what everyone else is doing. When I talk to you, young people that are starting businesses and are industry focused and focused on something, I just think, hey, for all the millennials out there that are willing to put the hard work and effort into one thing and becoming really, really good at one thing. You're going to differentiate yourself from everybody right. else because you're going to have nine other people interviewing for that job and you're going to have 10 years experience and they're going to have two years experience yep. because they jumped around from this job to this job and then decided to travel the world for a year and then were a barista for a year. Seriously. I mean, yeah. I really do think it just creates an opportunity for the millennials that, <coughs> you know, um, figure out where they want to, which this is really important, figure out where they want to live and what they want to do and just attack it. Um, there is gratification out of there is something to be said for instant gratification there's also something to be said for like putting your nose to the grindstone mm-hmm. um, traditional and, hard work yeah and, yeah and the and the fruits of that work too are I think even sweeter and riper there's just um, it just takes time takes time to get there yeah no I would agree and, and along those lines you know you touched on on it early on you know we're, we're sitting in here overlooking Tampa, right? And it's it's really starting to blossom. I mean, even Atlanta, where I call home now, is, you know, probably the third largest or third fastest growing tech 
area, right, within the United States. Talk a little bit about the benefits of picking the right city mm-hmm. and then the right message, right? It's kind of a two-part question, but mm-hmm. let's start with picking the right city. You mentioned some cities that are, that are really hot right now, especially for that millennial generation, Tampa being one, Austin another, right? Talk to me about picking the right city and the value that it could bring somebody starting a new organization. Um, you know, I, you know, Tim Moore hit it on the head. I, if I'm quoting him correctly from that, that millennial summit, we're big, but we're small, mm-hmm. right? And because of that, it's providing folks with startups, those entrepreneurs, new opportunities. Talk a little bit about picking the right city. Yeah, I think um, there's pros and cons, I think, to the established entrepreneurial kind of metropolitan areas um, and the non-established, which is, I would put Tampa in that category. The benefits to a Silicon Valley, a, a New York, or an Austin is that there's an existing ecosystem of people that have done it before mm-hmm. over, and this might be their, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh, or eighth iteration of launching. And I can't discount that. That is extremely valuable. Um, because of that, everyone's flocking to those areas. Right. And everyone's chasing the same people with the same money and the same expertise. And there might be, you know, 10 companies with a very similar idea and one up they're basically determining who the winner and losers are because whoever closes that deal with that private equity group uh, that's done it before is going to not only provide the capital but provide the expertise to really dominate that kind of industry focus Mm -hmm. where I feel like in a place like Tampa and this is a pro and a con is that you don't have as much competition the people that can um, make um, a big difference for you. It's a smaller pool of people, um, and you're not fighting with as many companies, right, to get funded, right? Your app or your product or whatever it might be that you're selling, right? You might have one other person that has something similar that's trying to get funded, and so I think it cuts both ways. Um, a lot of companies um, are. You know, for a lot of the reasons you mentioned, are they would typically they would start here, a lot of entrepreneur entrepreneurs, and then they would move to a Silicon Valley. Okay, we're starting to see less and less of that um, because um, slowly but surely, you know, we're having people like the Jeff Phoenix of the world that are creating and really putting an emphasis on these types of seminars and and being a part of building that ecosystem. So instead of like stepping into an ecosystem that's already built, you can kind of be a part of building one here. And mm-hmm. I think that gets people like me excited. Um, outside of whatever it is that you're doing, I think certain entrepreneurs love being on the ground floor. That's kind of what being an entrepreneur is. And I think that's what a Tampa will bring you is you can be a part of shaping that. Um, and those channels that you develop, which is what's happening to all the people in Silicon Valley, they continue to reap the returns of their reputation that they've built, um, you can't do that. I can't I can't fly to Silicon Valley and all of a sudden become the guy out there. But I can become the guy here. Mm-hmm. That's big. No, you that's know? that's good. Sam, you've you've seen it from an international view, right? I mean, same question. What 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 are, what value does a city like Tampa 
or in Atlanta where there's not as much pressure on the same investors, right? The same bank account. Yeah. Well, I think first of all, like Drew had mentioned, you are you are differentiated in the sense that if you have you know if you have a great idea and if you're able to build a great team, then you can really set yourself apart by being you know a high flying entrepreneur in in one of these cities that's uh, that's less prominent than Silicon Valley. And I think uh, you know we talk about long term relationships. I think when you're thinking about cities, we need to be thinking the same way too. I mean, Silicon Valley. Um, it, I think produces more value in nine days than Austin does in a single year, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, from from the amount of value, equity right. value created for a specific company, right? And so, what does that mean? Should we all just stop and like close up and go live in Silicon Valley because that's where all the best ideas are? No, it means that all of these cities, including Tampa, including Atlanta, need to be thinking long term. How do we start investing now in the future of how business? is going to be, you know, how new businesses are going to be created, how they're going to be incubated, the kind of infrastructure educationally and, and, and everything else that needs to be in place for, for Tampa to create, you know, an Uber, uh, you know, in the near future or in the right. midterm future. And so I think you, you, there's obviously, there's certain themes, there's macro themes within a state. So you have, you know, tourism is huge here. You know, what, what uh, Jeff Vinnick downtown is doing is, is creating this really amazing downtown urban walkable area. So there's opportunities for, for new urban development and city planning. $3 billion worth of investment. Uh, in, in that state. And then you also have, um, you know, just uh, real estate and, and, um, and, and the amount of kind of retirees. And so healthcare and all types of other. So there's, there's a – Florida is an incredible – Environment for a number for for more specific industries like you know elderly healthcare or for you know young millennials who are moving in and so I think you want to make sure that your product your service you can kind of match it up with this specific city to make sure that what you're really bringing to market that there's a there's a large demand specifically there and and that's going to change depending on what city you're looking at and what type of industry and company you're looking to launch. No, that's a great point. That that gets very specific. So that's that's good feedback. So. Drew, one of the last things I wanted to kind of touch on is over the last several years, um, I've been able to virtually watch you grow on bikes from a thought to this massive orchestration every year, right? I mean, it's for entrepreneurs and, and millennials, I wanted to touch a little bit on how community involvement shapes your professional growth, right? I'd like to, to kind of give a little, you know, uh, snippet of what On Bikes is, have you share with what On Bikes is, but how community involvement, because me personally, I feel community involvement, getting involved in certain organizations, whether they pertain to your, your job or their interests or hobbies, I think really helps shape you as a person, both what you like to do on the side and professionally because we talk about relationships all the time and I think these type of organizations really help you grow professionally as well but I'd like to talk a little bit about on bikes kind of its inception and and your philosophy on where it started to where it is today because you know the the pictures and images that I get to see of you guys assembling hundreds of bikes in warehouses now for kids in need is just fantastic I think what you've done with that and how that continues to grow is just transformed 
you know, a lot of what people can do here in the city of Tampa and gives them, you know, a good perspective. So talk a little bit about community involvement and how that's shaped you professionally. Yeah. Uh, truthfully, the way I view business is no different than the way that I view my philanthropic and kind of community engagement. We, we're big believers here that in every deal that we do, it's all about promoting human flourishing, right? And so I don't really separate kind of my business from my community kind of involvement because I kind of okay. see my business as being community involved in creating jobs and opportunity and prosperity. Awesome. Those are all great, um, great things that I, that I believe in. On bikes is just kind of, um, you know, there's a lot of great organizations out there that are doing a lot of cool stuff and being an entrepreneur, um, you know, it was, Hey, I could spend all my time and energy and resources, you know, kind of supporting, um, you know, another nonprofit, and there's a lot of great nonprofits doing a lot of great things, and, and we are, are supportive of those. Um, but one thing, coming from a really large family, you know, that uh, we didn't have a TV in our house until we were like 14 years old or something, you know, so we were outside all of the time. Yeah. Um, often, you know, taking bike rides all over the place. And, um, and so, you know, in the society that we live in today, that's happening less and less and less. There's less people outside. There's less people riding bikes. Um, that in combination with the trend of kind of the $3 billion investment that's getting ready to happen downtown and kind of having a pedestrian-friendly culture and kind of uh, promoting that and advertising that um, and advocating for that. You know, me and a group of friends... Um, it was really organic. We went on a bike ride together one Saturday instead of driving my SUV a half half a mile to go watch a football game. Like a group of twenty of us just rode our bikes, and uh, many of us hadn't been on a bicycle since we were <laughs> since we got our car. Yeah, right. I mean, sixteen. Yeah, since you were sixteen. Freedom. And we we're like, man, not only is this a ton of fun, but it's really efficient. Like we, you know, we can get from where I live to downtown and like. 15 minutes, you know, on right. a bike ride. And it's like, wow, Tampa's really accessible. It's actually a really bike-friendly place. So that led to, hey, this was a lot of fun. What if we did one for the community and just like just like we did, kind of give everyone an opportunity to get back on a bicycle and maybe we'll raise money for, you know, cancer or this or that or the other thing. After we fleshed it out a little longer, like, how about we just provide kids an opportunity to have a bicycle that otherwise wouldn't have a bicycle? Right. Um, and uh, that happened in 2011. There was, I think, 100 people at our first bike ride. You know, fast forward, you know, we're expecting there to be anywhere from like three to 5,000 people on our bike ride it's now. unbelievable. To your point, we've included now uh, we, in the arena, so in the Lightning Arena, Amelio Arena, we actually assemble all the bikes the week before and have several thousand people that come in. Um, it's kind of like a Santa's workshop. Right. type environment everybody comes in you don't have to pay for it it's like a, just a really cool community dynamic it allows you to roll up your sleeves and um and, and do something and uh and then we give all the bikes away uh through several different organizations one is the tampa police department uh, and then the other is the foster um the foster, foster care organization called eckerd youth alternatives okay um and the reason you know i did it um and the reason why we all do it there's a board of 10 people um are because we really believe in it and we uh, feel like it's having an impact not only on the kids that are getting the bikes but on the community it's a fun family friendly deal that anybody can do but to your point it absolutely helps in business it just does and uh, I would be dishonest if I said it didn't 
it paints a picture of, hey, this person's more than just whatever he does during the day or whatever his job position is. He's got a bigger view of the world. He cares about people. He's willing to sacrifice his time and energy uh, for those less fortunate. And, you know, I think that all translates into um, success, you know, uh, in the business world. You know, people want to help people that are also helping others for no benefit of their own. Mm -hmm. Um, Just like we talked about cultivating relationships, you know, I don't necessarily have to be, you know, cultivating a relationship. Or when I walk into that meeting and they've heard about the organization and know I'm involved, it immediately is like a warm introduction, you know? Yep. Um, And so it's been a wonderful experience. It really has been. No, that's great. And, you know, the things you're doing with On Bikes are phenomenal, like you said. Just the amount of growth that I've been able to watch. And it's it's been organic. And and people just warm up to it. The best part is watching you and your wife ride down... (laughs) Right down the road, dressed like elves. I mean, that's that's phenomenal. That's honestly, I'm gonna have to join in on that and uh, put on my Santa hat and and all my gear and join you guys. But, um, yeah, I think that's important for for a lot of people to understand. You know, just that community involvement. We've seen those those swings within buying behaviors, and, and even from a consumer standpoint, right? These small startups like Warby Parker, or even when Tom started saying, hey, for every pair of shoes you buy, I'm going to donate a pair. Um, you know, they want to know that there's a greater investment than just the product they're purchasing. And I think to that point, you know, the community involvement is going to go a long way, both personally and professionally. So, um, yeah. And that's something that I, you know, all of us are involved in different things, right? So I'm not the only one. Sam is extremely involved in a lot of different organizations. Um, one that we're particularly passionate about, which is called Ready for Work, which maybe you can touch on that a little bit. It's yeah, a, I'd love it's to a hear fantastic about that. Yeah, Ready for Work is a, is a, is a program that uh, is designed to help ex-convicts uh, go through kind of a training process and help them fix their resume and help them kind of sort through some of the, the challenges and difficulties they've gone through in prison uh, and really prepare them for the workplace because the, the problem is uh, there's a huge recidivism issue in the United States. So, you know, it's just it's very common where if you commit your first crime, you're from a poor neighborhood, the, the likelihood that you're just going to go back in that neighborhood commit the same or similar crime within, a, within a, a near, you know, within a reasonable period of time and you're back in prison, it's really bad, uh, you know, for, for the individual. It's a horrible situation for the individual to be in. And it's extremely bad for society. You know, it costs uh, something like $32,000 a year to incarcerate someone. Wow. Well, like the best private schools that I know of for children are, you know, ten or $15,000 a year. So there's like a huge trade-off. And so if you can figure out when these uh, oftentimes uh, folks who come from very unfortunate backgrounds, broken families, uh, sometimes like no families, you from the foster care system. Uh, and so the opportunity to kind of provide a program for them where they can really learn um, and they can grow and, and build relationships with other people in the community. So they kind of have uh, some life coaches and then to see uh, those people who haven't had opportunity mm-hmm. uh, really turn the corner and say, you know, with all this support, with all this help and all this training, I'm really, I want to go and, and be in the workforce. Uh, maybe even have a dream to be an entrepreneur one day and, and to see them really kind of pursue. And so just being involved in that is, is a great, you know, rewarding thing from an individual standpoint. But I think ultimately, like I just said, 
I feel like I'm saving taxpayers money by supporting this organization. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, if no you doubt. Can keep these people out of prison, you know, you're actually saving taxpayers money. And, and you know, you're also doing, what are they doing? They're working. Well, they're working. They're generating revenue for a company. They're paying taxes. So it's actually a net positive benefit even in the other side. So it's probably the net swing is like a $50,000 swing if you can just, you know, uh, you can do that. But oftentimes, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it takes a lot of work. Uh, it's pretty messy. It's about building relationships. It's about building trust. And it's about believing in people. And that's, um, that's uh, I feel like it's fairly easy for Drew and us, uh, Drew and I to do and our family because so many people have done that to us along the way. That's right. You know, even our, even our yeah. football coaches, Eric. Oh, yeah. Yeah, big time. No, that's great. So is ready, ready to work? Ready for work. Ready for work. Is that in Georgia? Because uh, I'm all about saving tax. Yeah, tax, there you tax go. Dollars. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so it's, it's not in Georgia yet? Not in Georgia yet. Well, no. we, we may have to talk offline about how that's we can good. save everybody in Georgia some tax dollars. But no, that's uh, that's that's fantastic. Um, and, and again, I think very crucial to anybody's role in, in coming up as an entrepreneur or getting into business and just getting started. Thanks for tuning in to the first episode of the Big Swings Podcast with the Weatherford Partners. I know, I know you're thinking to yourself right now, that was some phenomenal conversation. And quite frankly, I don't disagree. So I split this track in half and there's a part two. So make sure you flip back over, check out part two with Drew and Sam Weatherford. Also check us out at thebigswings.com. Subscribe so that you never miss a beat. I'll deliver that content directly to you and update you anytime there's a new episode posted. You can also check us out at LinkedIn at the Big Swings podcast and also on Facebook at The Big Swings. Thank you again for joining in today and flip back over and check out episode two.